Father in heaven, we ask your Holy Spirit will be with us today, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Open our minds. What we really need, though, is for you to open our ears so that we have ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 4, verse 1, and again Jesus began to teach by the sea. Now, I just want to pause right there because Mark, it, it seems to me in the way he develops this gospel, he very intentionally develops it in a chronological process, and he's talking about things that Jesus did. So here he's talking, Jesus is again teaching. If you'll remember all the way back at the beginning of the book of Mark in chapter 1, Jesus comes declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand and that everyone is to repent and believe the good news. But this is a strange thing for him to say. And what exactly does it mean that the kingdom of God is at hand? And so Mark sets out to make sure we're paying attention to the words of Jesus and that we're going to do exactly what Jesus has said, that we're going to repent and believe. And he sets out to establish the authority by which Jesus is declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand. So the very first thing he tells us is Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Peter and Andrew and he sees James and John and he calls them and they follow him. There's something powerful in the voice of Jesus. There's something that they hear in his voice that says, you know, I think I will leave behind my livelihood in life and I think I will follow this guy. He, he establishes that Jesus has the authority to call. You see, Jesus has multiple authorities, and, and the first authority that he demonstrates is this authority to call. And he still demonstrates that authority to us today when he calls us out of our lives to follow him. So the first one is authority to call. The second authority that he demonstrates is he goes into the synagogue and he teaches. And when he's done teaching, they say, that was amazing. He doesn't teach like the regular teachers. He teaches like someone with authority. Jesus had authority to teach. And in that time when he's teaching, a, a man stands up in the synagogue who has an evil spirit, and the spirit says, we know who you are, son of the Most High God, but Jesus says, be quiet, come out of him. And they're amazed again because Jesus demonstrates authority over demons. After this, Jesus goes to the home of Peter, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and, and Jesus takes her by the hand and lifts her off her sickbed, and she's feeling so good now that she even waits on them and serves them. Jesus demonstrates authority over disease. And he will demonstrate further authority by healing a leper, which was the unhealable disease. And then he will also demonstrate his ability to heal when they let the paralytic down through the roof. We talked about that story. But in that story, he will claim another authority even beyond these he will claim the authority to forgive sins. In fact, it is to gain that authority that Jesus has come to live on this earth. And then last Sabbath, we talked about a couple other authorities that Jesus would claim. The first one is Jesus will claim authority over tradition. The Pharisees will say to him, why are your disciples not fasting according to the tradition of the elders? And Jesus will say, the tradition of the elders doesn't matter right now because I am here. I have authority over tradition. 
And then he will make another claim. He will say, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He will claim authority over the Sabbath. This is much to claim, but, but ultimately Mark's purpose is not so much just to list all of the things that Jesus has authority over. His purpose is to create in us a question, and that is, does Jesus have authority over you? Does he have authority in your life? Mark chapter 4, verse 1, And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Now, I think this is a, uh, a genius thing that Jesus has done here, and I really appreciate this detail that's shared with us. So, remember that, that uh, amplified voices with microphones and speakers has only been around for a few decades. And anyone that spoke to large groups of people had to be in places that had good acoustics or else everybody had to be really close and there had to be a way to communicate. So you can imagine the scenario, Jesus is standing on the, on the shore and there's a lot of people and they keep gathering and you can imagine they keep crowding in and he's moving back, moving back, getting closer and closer to the water. It's really a smart thing he does to get in the boat and push out a little ways because now everybody can see him, right? They're not all crowded right in on top of him. And the sound isn't muffled by the people in the front. Plus, you've got the water there to reflect the sound back up. It's an amazing thing. So he pulls back, and that enables everyone to see and hear. We go on with verse 2. Then he taught them many things by parables. So Mark is saying there was a lot of teaching here, but Mark just chooses one parable to share. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good, good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, you remember that line. Jesus says that line a lot. We had it a lot of times when we did the, the uh, series on the seven churches of Revelation. It always ended with, he who has an ear, let him hear. Jesus will use this line, and it is a most interesting line because it is a line that suggests that if you have an ear tuned to the things that God is saying, you will recognize truth wherever it comes from. This is very important for us to remember because we have a tendency to want to put our confidence in one teacher or another teacher. We will choose who we think is our authority on truth and then believe everything they say. Now, I've said to you lots of times, it's important that you have many teachers because there are no teachers except Jesus who gets everything right. 
And because of that, you must train your ear to hear truth when it's spoken. I wouldn't even tell you that's possible except Jesus continues to suggest that it is. He who has an ear, let him hear. Now, Mark does a very interesting thing in the way he records Jesus' words. It does, this parable appears also in Matthew and in Luke, but they don't do quite the same thing Mark does. The amazing thing Mark does is he starts it by saying, by having Jesus say, listen. And then he ends it by saying, he who has an ear, let him hear. It's a powerful way to put emphasis on there, to challenge us to make sure that we really hear this story and we really understand what it means in our own lives. This is an important story, an important parable that Jesus has told. Now, this episode with Jesus standing in the boat and teaching will come to an end. And then verse 10 says, but when he was alone, Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. It's a very strange saying of Jesus, isn't it? You could almost read that and think, Is Jesus saying he doesn't want them to understand and be saved? Well, the thing that will help you understand what Jesus is saying here is the knowledge that he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. He's quoting from the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 6. Now, one of the interesting things about the book of Isaiah, most of the prophets, they will put the story of their calling to be a prophet generally in the first chapter. But really, the major calling of Isaiah doesn't take place until chapter 6 of his book. And we've talked about this particular chapter before because it's an amazing story. It's the chapter where Isaiah is in the temple and he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. It's an amazing scene he sees. And, And there were two seraphim that were with him who kept saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And And Isaiah looks and he sees God and and his only response in that moment is, Woe is me, for I have seen the Most High. And I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And then this powerful moment happens. One of the angels flies to the altar, the altar which represents the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf for sin, and takes tongs and lifts a live coal from the altar and takes it in his angel hand and comes to Isaiah and touches his lips with the coal. That which should have burned him instead cleanses him. And he says, see, this has touched your lips. Your sins are forgiven. It's a powerful moment. Immediately after this, we find these words in Isaiah 6, verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy. And shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. So what's happening here? God is saying to Isaiah, I am sending you as a prophet to the people. 
And you are to tell the people of the hope and the love and the acceptance that can come through faith in God, but also to warn them of the disaster that will come if they continue on their course of disobedience. Unfortunately, the result of your work will not be that everyone will repent. In fact, the more you talk, the more some will cover their ears. The more some will cover their eyes. You see, this is what happens when the gospel is truly presented, is that some will hear and believe, but others will choose to reject. And every time they choose to reject, they become a little more deaf to the Spirit. And God sends us out to speak the words of God that all who would hear, he who has an ear, let him hear. That all who would hear would come and believe even though he knows that those who reject will become a bit more deaf each time the story is told. This is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 9, which is an amazing story and one of my favorite stories of the Bible about the man born blind. You remember that story? Jesus and his disciples encounter a man who was blind from birth. And the disciples say, who was it that sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? They're assuming it had to be something like that. And Jesus says, no, but this has happened so that the glory of God might be revealed in his life. And what happens over the course of this story is this man who begins blind and and limited in understanding begins to blossom and, and bear fruit of faithfulness in his life all the while while the Pharisees are doing everything they can to not believe what has happened. And finally, in the end, the man says, whether this man, speaking of Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. But what I do know is I once was blind and now I see. He bears testimony of what Jesus has done in his life. And every time he tells it, the Pharisees become a little bit more blind to what Jesus has done. He's fulfilling this prophecy. He's speaking until they can hear no more. You go to John 9 and verse 39, we find these words. Jesus, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. This is that same reality that Jesus is talking about. The more we resist the Holy Spirit, the more we shut ourselves out. The more we accept, the more we move into grace. Paul talks about this. It's all about having ears that hear and, and eyes that see. Paul, in his introduction in 1 Corinthians, speaks these words, chapter 1, verse 20. He says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now, I I want you to to think about that for just a second because it's an amazing passage. What he's saying here is that the world, through its process of trying to gain wisdom and understanding, has never been able to wisdom and understand its way to God. 
You look at all the wisdom of this age that we live in. It has concluded all kinds of things except God, right? And Paul is saying, where is the wise man of this day? For in all of his wisdom he has not found the greatest truth. Yet, through the foolishness of the word spoken, many who have ears have heard and believed. You see, that's what blows the minds of the wisdom of the age. They're like, how can you people be so gullible? But what the wisdom of this age does not understand is the power of the Holy Spirit. And because our participation in the, the, the forgiveness that is ours through Jesus Christ is, Christ is centered in faith, it is by faith that we enter into the relationship. So, so it is by the foolishness of someone like me standing here saying to you without being able to prove it, Jesus is Lord. Yet when you hear those words, the Holy Spirit works in your heart and you know them to be true. This is the foolishness of preaching. And it is what God has chosen to turn the world on its head. Because through the wisdom of the world, they didn't find God. It goes on, for Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. When the good news is proclaimed to those with eyes that see and ears that hear, they recognize in it, by means of the Holy Spirit, the voice of Jesus calling them to follow me. And when they hear that voice, they leave behind, just like Peter and Andrew, just like James and John, just like Matthew from the tax collector's table. They leave behind that other life and follow after Jesus. It is how we respond to the voice of Jesus in our life that matters. John chapter 12, verse 47, Jesus talking, He says, And if anyone hears My words and does not believe. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus came to save the world. So he speaks, and the word he speaks is the means by which we can receive this salvation. But he goes on, verse 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last days. What judges us in the last days? Our refusal to have ears that hear the voice of Jesus calling us to follow Him. It's not some arbitrary thing. It's because we've listened so long without believing that we've gone deaf and can't hear. This is an important parable. This story that Jesus tells and, and we're going to go through Jesus' explanation of this parable. And as we do, I want you to look for yourself in this story. Mark chapter 4, verse 13, And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? 
How then will you understand all the parables? It seems even at this point, the disciples were still learning to hear. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on the stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some one hundred. So the question to you, what kind of ground are you? See, the problem with the the hard-packed ground, the the seed falls on it. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed is good. But the ground is packed hard. And before it can take root, the birds come and take it away. Jesus says this is the gospel being presented to someone whose ears refuse to hear, who for whatever reason are blocking the Spirit of God. It could be life experience. It could be... It could be known sin in their life that they don't want to acknowledge. Whatever it is, it blocks, and Satan comes and takes it away. Now, there aren't always that many people at church like this because why would they bother coming here? You just keep getting the same thing all the time, and eventually you're tired of it, right? This is a point where we need to be careful. Because sometimes even those who believe in our unfaithfulness to God pack the soil of someone else's life. When you speak words unkindly, when you behave in a manner inconsistent with your calling, there are those watching you and the net effect is to pack the soil of their life and cause them to be more resistant to the gospel simply because they can't see the gospel working in you. This is not something we want to be responsible for. There's the stony ground. Maybe you're stony ground. Maybe you've been stony ground. Maybe you know people like this. The stony ground people, they're in, they're out. They're in, they're out. They're back, they're forth. They never have any root. They never go deep. Many of them came to faith because they believed that by believing, their life would be grand. And they start to believe, and not only does their life not get better, in some ways it gets worse. They start having all kinds of conflict. Why did I have to be an Adventist? Now I have problems with Sabbath. Why did I have to? My life's gotten harder. And because they don't have those deep roots, as soon as tribulation comes, they waste away. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't promise us a smooth life. In fact, what Jesus promises is in this world you will have trouble. 
but take heart, I've overcome the world. So the stony ground, as soon as there's trouble, they go back out, and then they come back in, and they go back out. I worry about the stony ground, but let me tell you the ones I worry most about. The ground I worry most about in this community, and that's the thorns. You see, the ground on which the thorns grow is good ground. The seed falls. It drops deep roots. It starts to sprout. It's doing fine, except the life of the one is so full of so many other things that faith does not become the center of life. Faith becomes a a once-a-week hobby. And some of us are really good at it. We live our life for six days, and then we come and do our hobby of faith. And it's fun. We like it. But it's not the core. And the cares of the world grow up around us. And it turns out that that's not a faith with any power. It's not a faith with strength. And we're not fruitful. Oh yeah, there's still a little plant in there, but it's not fruitful. It's not producing. I worry most about this for this community for this reason. Now, I know we all have challenges in our lives, but I also know some of you have pretty good lives. And you have a lot of fun. And you have the capacity to do a lot of things that are fun. But these things can be deceitful in our lives and can pull us away from what God calls us to be. And then there's the good soil. The seed falls in the plowed good soil, and that seed sprouts and grows. We saw an example of it here when Allie sang for us a little while ago. This is an example of fruitfulness. When the seed takes life in soil. We all have our own ways of showing it. But it is a blessing to be around fruitful believers. What kind of soil are you? As I reflect on this, I've been different kinds of soil over the course of my life. There have been some times in my life where I was pretty hard soil. But you know what the Lord did to help me not be hard soil? He sent a great big plow right through the middle of my life. I didn't like it when it happened. But it broke up the soil. I don't know that I was necessarily stony ground. I haven't really ever been in and out. Um, Part of that may have to do with the fact that when I was very young, I had a heart condition. So to me, certain struggles were a normal part of reality. So I don't know that I ever expected believing was going to be an easy road because it wasn't when I was young. Why would it be easy later? But, But maybe you've had a different experience. So I don't know that I ever really did the stony ground thing, but I've been in the thorns. I've had time in my life where I'm so consumed by everything else that faith is just a hobby and not even one that I participate in all that often. But I've also been good soil sometimes. And when I have, I've been amazed at what God has been able to do through the foolishness of preaching. Is Jesus Lord in your life? Does He have authority over you? I want to read you one more verse, again, from John 
chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus says this, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. All right, Jesus is the grain of wheat. And he falls into the soil of your life. He died for your sin. And when you embrace and accept his gift, the the grain of wheat that died for you, that dies in the soil of your heart, produces fruitfulness out of your life. But only if it is the acceptance of the death of Jesus at the core of who you are. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See, this is why I worry about some of you whose lives are pretty lovable. I hope you enjoy that part of it. But that part alone is empty without Jesus in your heart. Verse 26, If anyone serves Me, let him follow Me. And where I am, there My servant will be also. If anyone serves Me, him My Father will honor. So here's the challenge I want to give you at the close today. Be that fruitful soil. Because the seed of Jesus Christ will always sprout. Have the ears that hear. Have the eyes that see. Allow the foolishness of preaching to open up in you the Holy Spirit channel into your heart that will bring into your life conviction and satisfaction and fruitfulness. Take what you have and give the best of it to Jesus. He will take it and multiply it 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Give of your best to the Master. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, give us the ears that hear that by the foolishness of preaching we would be open to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That we would be the ones who have ears that hear and hearts that remain true. That we would give You our very best and You would multiply it 30 times, 60 times, or even 100 times. In Jesus' name. Amen.